Well, if you've got your Bibles with you, I want you to go to turn to Matthew chapter 2. Matthew chapter 2. In just a minute, I'm going to read the first few verses of Matthew chapter 2, and then we're just going to stay there in Matthew chapter 2 this morning. And we're talking about the disturbing gift. Now, disturbing is not, is, is, isn't normally a, a word that you would use uh, when you talk about Christmas. Normally, when we think about Christmas, we would use words like love and joy and peace and excitement and all that kind of stuff. And disturbing is not something that you normally think about when, when you talk about Christmas. And I know some of you are sitting here saying, hey, dude, you've never met my mother-in-law. When she comes over, it is really disturbing. But, but for, for most of us, disturbing is not, is not something we think about when we think about Christmas. But we're going we're gonna to read these eight verses today, and you're going to see where the coming of Jesus into the world was disturbing for at least one person. And, and I think that when we read that, we're going to say, man, wh- why, you know, what, what could be disturbing about the coming of Jesus? But I think if we're honest with ourselves, we're going we're gonna to see that sometimes the coming of Jesus into our own lives can be rather disturbing. So if you've got your Bibles, look at Matthew chapter 2, and I'm going to read the first eight verses of Matthew chapter 2. <clears throat> Starting with verse 1, it says this, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, During the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. Now let me stop right there real quick. Um, A couple things. One is, it says, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea. Now I know I'm about to like totally destroy some of your images of the night Jesus was born, but, but what you need to understand is, is when this happened, when the Magi, or as we probably, you probably refer to them as the wise men, when the wise men showed up to see Jesus, it was not the same night that he was born. It was not the same night that the shepherds came out from the fields, and, and it was not the same night that the little drummer boy was there, and, you know, all that kind of stuff. <clears throat> it was not, you know, it was this, we're talking about something that happened two people think, people, most people think two, maybe even three years after Jesus was born. So, uh, so in fact, uh, Blake, who, who did the offertory prayer a while ago, our youth pastor, uh, he does something just to aggravate his dad, which I think is hilarious. When he goes home to his parents' house, they have a traditional nativity with the wise men there, and Blake removes the, ri- the wise men from the manger and puts them somewhere else in the house because they really weren't there at the manger. And Blake's dad gets angry with him, and Blake continues to do that and show disrespect to his father. So we need to pray for him. No, I'm just kidding. But, but I think that's funny that he does that. But, but if you have a nativity set with the, listen, we got one at our house with the wise men right there at the manger. And, and I like to think about that in my own mind. But just so that you know, this happened later. This is a couple years later uh, when Joseph and Mary were now living in a house, it says, and, and the wise men show up to, to see Jesus. So, but this is before they get to see Jesus, they go see King Herod. And this is what we're talking about today. Look at verse 3. <clears throat> When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed. That's the word we're focusing on today, disturbed. And all Jerusalem with him. When he called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Christ was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly 
and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and make a careful search for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. Now, those of you that know how the story ends, we're not going to read the rest of it today. But just let me let you know, in case you're wondering what's going to happen, the wise men don't go back to see Herod. God warns them that what Herod really wants to do is kill Jesus. And so they don't go back to see Herod. They go home in another direction. And, uh, and, and that, but they, they did get to see Jesus, and they brought him the gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Even though none of you know what frankincense and myrrh probably is, they brought that stuff, and they gave it to Jesus. And because of that, on Christmas morning, y'all are all going to open gifts from each other, which I've never really understood, but we do it anyway. It's his birthday, and we get gifts, uh, but, but that's the way it goes. And that all began with the wise men showing up. But what we want to talk about today is the fact that King Herod, the Scripture says, was disturbed by the birth of Jesus. He was disturbed at the coming of Jesus to earth. And that word there, disturbed, means basically what it means today. And when it was written in the Greek, it just means like an inner commotion, something going on inside of you that bothers you, that, that, you're, that there's fear involved with that, and, and you know things are about to change and you don't like that. And so when King Herod heard that Jesus was coming, that's, that's the way he felt inside. Now, why would a powerful man... Why would a king with all of this, this ability to, to have people under his command, why would he be bothered so much by the birth of one little baby? And, and the other question is, is there any way that we could be like Herod? Could we be disturbed by the coming of Jesus? And I think if we're honest, we're going to see today that sometimes when he really comes into our life, it is disturbing for us. Because here's, here's the big thing I think is true and, and that, that we need to talk about today, and that is this. Jesus disturbs us because of what we might lose. Jesus disturbs us because of what we might lose. See, for King Herod, the disturbing part of Jesus' coming began in verse 2. And, uh, and because uh, in verse 2 it says there that after Jesus was, bo- uh, Beth- was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem, verse 2, and asked, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? That's when the disturbing part happened for King Herod. So what you need to know is, is that these guys didn't, the, these Magi, they didn't show up at Herod's door completely unexpected. The way things worked back then, and, and, and pretty much, I guess, the way they would work today, but, but um, when, when these, these guys, and, and by the way, there could have been more than three of them. We always say there were three because they had three gifts, but there could have been more than three. We don't know that for certain. But, but we do pretty much know that it wasn't just three guys on three camels. These were important guys, so they had attendants with them. They had, it was like a big caravan of people. And so when, when they entered into the country, Herod had his, his soldiers, the Roman soldiers, were all over the country just watching what was going on, securing the borders, things like that. These guys, when they entered the country, Herod was alerted to this. And he was told, hey, you got some guys coming. And, uh, and, and, and the way it worked back then, if you came to the country, you would go to the king and you would get, present him with gifts and kind of as a peace offering to say, we're not here to take over. We're just here. This is the business we're on. And so when Herod probably got the news that these guys were coming, he was probably excited because they said, hey, these guys are showing up. They, we don't know who they are, but they look rich. 
They've got stuff with them. They've got a lot of camels and they've got a lot of people with them and they're carrying big loads of gifts and stuff. It looks, looks pretty good. And so Herod was thinking, man, these guys are going to come. They're going to show honor to me. They're going to bow down to me and say, you know, you're awesome, King Herod. We're glad we're here. Here's our gifts we're giving to you. This is what we're doing in your country. And so that was all exciting him. So when they showed up at his door, I'm sure they were greeted with excitement and, and greeted, with, greeted with gladness that they were there. And all that changed the moment that they said to him, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? And the reason why that changed when they heard that statement is this. See, Herod had already declared himself to be the king of the Jews. He had given himself that title. And so here they were saying, they weren't coming to him and saying, praise you, Herod, king of the Jews. They were coming to him and saying, Where is the king of the Jews? And immediately when Herod heard the fact that these guys were looking for the king of the Jews and they weren't talking about him, immediately in Herod's mind he started to think about what he stood to lose. The fact that he, with these guys showing up and this baby being born, that now he stood to lose all of his power. Herod, what you need to understand about King Herod is this. He was not Jewish. He was not from the land of Israel. He was an outsider. And so the only way he got to be king of the Jews was when the Romans came in and they took over Israel and what they would do, they'd take over this country and obviously Caesar himself couldn't stay in every single country that they took over because they were taking over just every country they could get their hands on. So what they would do is they would select a guy and they'd say, okay, you're our guy, you're, you're, we trust you, we're going to put you in this country and make you in charge of this place and you're the king. <clears throat> we really don't care what you do as long as you collect enough taxes and send it to Rome, we're going to be fine with whatever you do. And so Herod was the one who got chosen to do that. So when, and while Herod's there, he's chosen to do that, he begins to love the power. He loves it. In fact, he loved it so much that he would do almost anything to protect it. We know from history that he had at least seven members of his own family executed. Those that he, were, he was afraid they were going to take his power. Some of them were his own sons. He had them executed. One of them was his mother-in-law, which maybe to you, you're like, hey, you know, can't really fault him for that. That's, does that even count as an execution? But it did. And so he, would, so he would have family members of his killed. Anybody that he thought was going to take his power, he would have them killed. He would do anything to hold on to this power. So when the wise men show up and they start talking about the king of the Jews, he, he immediately begins to think, this is going to hurt me. I'm going to lose this thing that I love. I'm going to lose this power. Now think about our own lives for just a minute. When Jesus comes into our life, when you, when you decide and, 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 and you, you ask Jesus for, for forgiveness and he comes into your life and, and you decide to be a follower of him, don't you think that we're going to lose some stuff? Don't you think that there's some things we're going to have to give up? If you read the scripture, you know that to be true. I mean, if you read the New Testament, there was, there was a guy that came up to Jesus, a rich guy, had a ton of money, and he comes up to Jesus and he said, hey, what must I do to have eternal life? And Jesus said, go sell everything you own and give the money to poor people. You know what the scripture said he did? He walked away. It was too much for him to give up. He didn't want to lose that. Scripture tells another story about a guy who comes up to Jesus and said, hey, I want to follow you, but first I need to go bury my dad. My dad's dead and I need to go bury him. And Jesus said, if you go to the funeral, you're not worth following me. You've got to follow me now or don't follow me at all. You know what he did? He left. The guy didn't follow him. 
There's, a, there's another uh, time in Scripture when Jesus is talking to his followers in Luke chapter 9, and, and he talks about what it takes to follow him. And he says, listen, if you want to follow me, you've got to pick up your cross, which was an instrument of death. You've got to pick up your cross daily and follow me. And whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But if you're willing to lose your life for me, you will save it. And so all of these teachings Jesus would give, and they were disturbing to people. And people would hear that, and they would walk away. There's another time where, where Jesus was talking about what he was going to do on the cross and the sacrifice he was going to make and it said he told those people he said unless you drink my blood and eat my flesh you cannot be my followers and it says many people left him that day when they heard that teaching when it comes to following jesus it's going to require us to lose some stuff it's going to require us to give some stuff up and that is disturbing to us now listen let me let me make something clear here because we're all Southern churchgoers. That's who we are that are here today. And, and may, you know, some of you are like, hey, I, Cliff, I ain't Southern. I'm from Boston or whatever. I, that's cool. That's awesome. But if you've lived here 10 years or more, you've got the mentality just like the rest of us. It just seeps into you like barbecue sauce on a piece of bread. It just seeps into you. Some of y'all can't concentrate now. You're wanting to go eat. But listen, we've got this Southern Christian culture mentality going on that we think following Jesus means showing up here to church. We think following Jesus is that when, when you open up a Facebook account under religious views, you write in Christian. And we think that's enough. Listen, following Jesus isn't about going to church and following to Jesus isn't about cultural Christianity. It's about a total life commitment. It's about giving everything over to Him. And that should disturb you somewhat. If it didn't disturb you at all, then I would tell you, you don't understand what you're committing yourself to. I've been following Jesus for a long time. I, 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 try to, I try to do the absolute best I can, and there are still days when I think about what Jesus wants me to do, and it disturbs me. I still have some, some uh, in my soul some, some things that are uncomfortable to me. But the funny thing about that, even when I experience that and when you experience that, when, when we start focusing on what we're going to lose... Those, it's funny because those are things we don't really need to worry about. Um, I went to a, a conference earlier this year, and, uh, and I was standing in line. It was a conference where they provided lunch, which made it an awesome conference just because of that. Even if everything else had been bad that day, that made it good. And uh, I was standing in the lunch line to get lunch, and I'm standing behind this guy, and he's with his group of friends, and they're talking, and... I just can hear what they're saying, not because I'm trying to eavesdrop, but they're just right. I mean, I'm literally like this close to them, and they're right there. And um, this guy was talking about how he didn't like kids, just didn't like kids at all. Didn't like to hear them talking and all this stuff. And immediately I thought, you're stupid. But anyway, but I, I sat there, and uh, he didn't like kids. And then he began to talk about how he was worried about one day if he, was, if he happened to get married, and his wife wanted to have kids, and he was already worrying about, what am I going to do if I marry a girl who wants to have kids? Let me tell you what this guy looked like. He was, a, he was a really big guy, and he had on skinny jeans. Strike one right there, all right? First of all, if he was a guy and wearing skinny jeans, that'd be a strike in my book. But since he was really big and had on skinny jeans, and then his shirt didn't come all the way down to where his jeans came up, so he had the, you know, the plumber's crack going on that you could see right there, right as I'm in line to eat. 
And his hair, um, it, I don't, it, it couldn't have been fixed at all. I mean, it looked like he just kind of rolled out of bed and, you know, showed up and that kind of thing. And he hadn't shaved in a long time, and he had a neck beard. And listen, I got nothing against facial hair, but he had a neck beard going on, and it was just going on. It was like he just decided, it's like he had just given up, really, is what it looked like to me. And, uh, and he smelled, uh, he didn't have B.O., but he had this smell like, like an old grandma's closet. You know, he had this like this musty smell of, of something that he had pulled out of a, 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 an attic, you know, that nobody had worn for about 20 years. And that's just the way. And so he's talking about how he's worried about having kids. And I was having to hold my tongue because I wanted to say, listen, dude, I don't think it's going to be a problem for a long time. Because you are not presenting yourself in a way that any woman I know of would want to have kids with you, right? But he was worried about that. Now, I know that's a silly example, but I think sometimes in our lives, when it comes to, when we start following Jesus and and we start thinking about what we're going to give up, we're spending a lot of time worrying about stuff that it doesn't really matter. We're we're spending time worrying about things that, 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 that it's not going to be an issue. See, the thing about King Herod was is that he was concerned about losing his power, but the, the thing about his power was it, he wasn't going to be able to hold on to it anyway. He wasn't going to be able to hold on to that. He was going to lose that power at some point anyway. And almost all of the stuff that, that we're afraid of losing if we start following Jesus, it's stuff that we can't hold on to. Most of the things we're afraid to lose are things we can't keep. Most of the things we're afraid to lose are things we can't keep. You're afraid if you start following Jesus, you're going to lose a bunch of money because you're going to just get crazy and start giving it away to the church and missionaries and all that kind of stuff. Guess what? You can't keep that money anyway. Yeah, Cliff, but I can pass it down to my kids. They can't keep it. You can't keep that money. You're worried about losing friends or that kind of thing. Let me tell you something. If they're the kind of friend that's going to turn their back on you because you radically start following Jesus, you're going to lose that friend eventually anyway. You can't keep that stuff. Whatever it is that that we're worried about losing, if we truly start following Jesus, that we're disturbed about, that it bothers us in our soul that, that we're going to lose this stuff, those are things that we can't keep. See, the stuff that the stuff that we can keep is the stuff that Jesus can give us. We can keep eternal life, and he can give us that. We can keep forgiveness of our sins. He can give us that. We can keep inner peace in the midst of garbage going on in our life, and Jesus is the one who gives us that. The only things that last forever are the things that he can give us. And so anything else that we lose, we don't need to be afraid about losing that. See, that's the other thing about it. We're so, much, we're so afraid of losing this stuff, and we lose sight of the fact that Jesus has better stuff for us anyway. He has better stuff for us anyway. The, uh, this whole idea of Herod being disturbed and us being disturbed when Jesus is part of our life, it really is, is just fear. Herod was just afraid. He was afraid of losing power. He was afraid of being just a normal guy and not a king. And when we talk about Jesus coming to our life, we, we're just afraid of what it would be like if we really started following him. We're just afraid of that. And what I love about the fact that we're afraid is when you look at the story of the birth of Jesus, when you read all of that scripture, it's in Matthew and it's in Luke, and you go home and and you read those first couple of chapters of Matthew and the first couple of chapters in Luke, and you read the whole story of the birth of Jesus, 
There's an idea, there's a theme throughout all of that. And that theme is do not be afraid. That's the theme. When, when Zechariah and Elizabeth, this was Mary's cousin, the Mary, the mother of Jesus, had a cousin named Elizabeth. And Elizabeth was unable to have a child. For years she was unable to have a child. And God chose her to give birth to a baby who they would name John, who you would later know as John the Baptist, because he would baptize people. He was really, uh, John the Baptist was really more literally translated back then, John the Baptizer because he went around baptizing folks. But the real, the real purpose of John on earth was to let people know that Jesus was coming. John was prophesied in the Old Testament just like Jesus was. And so Zechariah and Elizabeth, they, they can't have a baby, and all of a sudden the angel shows up to Zechariah when he's the priest, and he's in the Holy of Holies at the temple, and he's in the middle there, and an angel shows up to him. And look at Luke one thirteen, what the angel says to Zechariah. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid. Say that with me. Do not be afraid. Zechariah, your prayer has been heard. And then you go to Mary, teenage girl, engaged to be married, has never been with a man before. And the angel Gabriel shows up to her and tells her she's going to have a baby. And it's from the Holy Spirit. In Luke one thirty, it says this. The angel said to her, say it with me, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. And then you've got Joseph, who's, who's going to be Mary's husband. And all of a sudden, he's finding out that his, his, uh, his sweet young girl that he's going to marry, who's so pure and perfect, that she's pregnant with a baby, and he doesn't understand what's going on. And in Matthew one twenty, it says this, The Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, say it with me, Do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. And then the night Jesus was born, there are shepherds out in a field, and, and it's just a night like any other night, and they're trying to stay warm, and they're trying to make sure that they've got all their sheep, and they're trying to, to do the best job that they can, and all of a sudden angels show up in the sky and start telling them about this baby that's being born. And then in Luke 2.10 it says this, The angel said to them, say it with me, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy. What I would want you to go away from here understanding today is that we don't have anything to fear when we follow Jesus. I know that it can be disturbing. I know that there's things that we think about. I'm going to lose this. I'm going to lose that. It's a, it's a, different, it's a different way of life. I don't, know, I don't know how it's going to look. But what God wants us to know is do not be afraid because whatever you lose, Whatever you lose, you will gain so much more. Whatever you lose, you will gain so much more. When, um, when I was in uh, summer after I graduated from high school and then all through college in the summers, um, I would work uh, in the summers for a temp agency, a temporary agency, and which was a great deal because... I was guaranteed to have work all summer long. I was guaranteed that my hours were pretty much going to be, you know, 7 in the morning till 5 in the afternoon or whatever. And I was guaranteed to make a certain amount of money because with the temp agency, they'd send you to a job and you'd work this job for two or three weeks and then they wouldn't need you anymore and then they'd have another job lined up for me and I'd go to that one and I knew I was going to make the same amount of money every place because I was getting paid from the temp agency and not from the place directly. And it was great. But now here's the thing about working that is 
you went wherever they sent you to work, and some of those jobs were pretty good, and some of those jobs were terrible. You know, I worked one job where I was on the roof, uh, you know, in Columbia in the summertime working with fixing holes on the roof of this factory with tar. And it's like 102, you know, when it gets to be 102 here in Greenville, people go crazy. In Columbia in the summertime, that's just Tuesday. It's no big deal. And so I'd have to do that kind of stuff, and you'd work these jobs, and it'd be tough and that kind of thing. And, but even if the job was terrible, what I found out what happened in my, in my spirit, in my heart was, when that job got ready to end and I got ready to go to the next one, I'd get worried and I'd think, I would just rather stay here the rest of the summer. Even though that job stunk, even though I was on the roof every day, burning up and, you know, coming home covered in tar and my mom would make me strip my clothes off in the garage before I could even come in, that kind of a thing. I, I would think, yeah, but I, wanna, I just want to stay here. And the reason why... It's because I was familiar with that place. I knew where to park when I got there. I knew who to turn my hours into. I knew where the bathroom was. You know how it is when you start a new job. You don't know any of that stuff. And so when it got time to get a new job, I would, you know, to, to get done, I would get a little worried in my soul. But here's what would happen oftentimes. I'd finish up with that one, and they'd say, okay, Monday morning, go to this place, and I'd report there. And more often than not, I'd get there, and, man, this job was better. I went to one one time, I had the terrible job, and I was so worried about it all weekend going to the next place. I go to the next place on Monday, and I get there, and they said, okay, we're going to pay you for eight hours whether you finish in two or whether you finish in eight. And we're going to provide your lunch today. Now, that job was awesome. But I had spent all weekend worrying about it because I didn't know what it was going to be like. And I would have rather have stayed in the terrible job because I was used to it. Now, listen to me. I think sometimes us as followers of Jesus, we get into this routine where we're just doing this thing and Jesus is calling us to something better. He's calling us to something bigger, but we don't know all the details of it. And we get so concerned about what we're going to lose over here that we miss out on the big blessing he's got for us over here. And, and we are used to living this lifestyle even though it's not the best, and we'd rather stay there than go into the unknown over here and where things are going to be so much more exciting and, and so much more uh, um, inviting to others and so, and so much better for what he wants us to do. And what I want to say to, to, to myself and to all of us today as followers of Jesus, I want us to live in the area of do not be afraid and, and not live in the area of being disturbed anymore. I want us to live in the truth of the gospel, which is we can trust Jesus. We can trust him. If you can trust him with your soul, I mean, think about this. If you can trust him, you, you believe that, that you're giving your eternal soul to Jesus and you're trusting him with that for the rest of eternity, then I think you can trust him with your money. If you can trust him with your heart and to forgive you of your sins, then I think you can trust him with your family. And I think you can trust him with your time. I think you can trust him with your possessions and your talents. And so I want us to live in the do not be afraid and not live in the disturbed any longer. I want to say a prayer for us. Our band's going to come up, and when I'm done praying, they're going to bust into the last song, and I want you to sing that with excitement as you leave. I want you to leave here and invite people to come back with you next week. But as I pray... If you, um, if you call yourself a follower of Jesus, if 
you call yourself a Christian, um, just pray and ask God, Lord, what is it that you have for me that maybe I'm missing out on because I've been living in fear? I've been in the disturbed area and I haven't been in the do not be afraid area. And just ask him what that might be. I don't know what it is for you. Only he can tell you that. And if you're here today and, and you're not a follower of Christ, you're not a Christian, or you don't know if you are or not, I want to tell you that you can trust him with your soul. You can trust him with your life. You can trust him to forgive you of the things you've done wrong. We all have. And so you can do that today by asking him to do that. And I want you to come tell me if you do that. So let's pray. Man's going to come up. And we're going to go out of here celebrating who he is. Let's pray together. Father God, thank you for your kindness. Thank you for coming to earth as a baby. Lord, I pray that for myself and for everybody else here that we would trust you with, with who we are. We would stop living in fear. That we would understand that if if you do require us to give things up, if, if we are going to lose some things by following you, that we're going to gain much more than we ever lost. God, I, I ask that when we leave here today that we would walk out of here telling other folks about what you can do for them and, and what you've done for us. And we would tell our story. And we would no longer be afraid to follow you completely. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for loving us enough to come to earth and become one of us. We ask these in Jesus' name. Amen.